you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. If you don't want it bad enough, you won't. And the reality is most people don't want it bad enough. That's why most small businesses fail. People don't want it bad enough. They don't want to go through the pain and the heartache and the rejection and the hustle that's required. Welcome to the People of Dubai podcast with myself, Annie, and my beautiful co-host, Holly. Hello. This week, we have a business strategist, (laughs) an investor, can't say that word, and someone that I'm sure a lot of you will be familiar with, Spencer Lodge. Welcome. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. People would ever say my name out loud. It sounds like an old people's home, isn't it? (laughs) Spencer's Lodge. Spencer Lodge. (laughs) People go to die. God's waiting room. (laughs) Well, hopefully we won't die. Hopefully not. We've lost a listener already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, welcome. Thank you. We want to pick your brains on this episode about all things kind of business advice, strategy and um, kind of advice that you have for our listeners that are setting up businesses or, um, yeah, might be interested. But first of all, tell us about you. When did you move to Dubai? So I've been here since January 2005, so it's 19 years this month I came here. So, yeah, quite a period of time. Have you got your golden visa yet? Yeah. Well done. Get one of those. I, get, I think I get a discount on the buses soon as well. <laughs> you are making yourself sound old. <laughs> but yeah, so I've been in 19 years. I came, but I've lived overseas now for 30 years. So I was 23 years old when I went to live in Hong Kong and then Thailand, Malaysia and Brazil and Slovakia and uh, Egypt and Italy and, and then Amsterdam. And then I moved here. And so I'd been living outside of the UK for a long time. And to buy your home, you're going to be here forever? I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere. So when I was a kid, I was in West Africa, in Nigeria. My dad was in the oil industry. So this is the longest I've lived anywhere. And what does Spencer do? So I own a bunch of businesses and invest in other businesses and have a podcast, as you know, as well. So I'm into insurance and financial planning and wealth management. I'm into corporate wellness. I'm into software. I'm into IT businesses. Gosh, what else have we got? into AI-driven businesses, uh, into real estate. So there's a whole bunch of different stuff. That's an impressive portfolio. Yeah. What drives you to invest in a business? What's that thing what you look for? Something that interests me. There's lots of of businesses that I think could be good businesses, but they just go over my head. I try and understand them and learn them and I'm like, yeah, I don't get that. Or it it doesn't float my boat and so then I stay away from that. But I'm always looking for the opportunity and I don't invest in businesses, I invest in people. Okay. Is that how it works? Like say, for instance, you meet someone, you find out what they do. And if you feel like you have that organic click, you dive in deep. Do you approach them and be like, I want to invest in your business? So many years ago, I was a judge in a pitch contest in Santa Monica in LA. And so I was literally two days of different companies doing five minute pitches to me over and over again. And some of the pitches were awful. But our job was to, to essentially mentor these people. So they pitched on day one, we mentored them, and then they had a chance to pitch on day two. But on day one, this guy walked in and he had a big ginger beard, he had a leather apron on, okay? And he said, my company's Coco Jack. And he told me a story and it was really funny about how he got into eating raw foods. And every time he was opening up coconuts, he was cutting his hands. So he got his mate to, who, who, who had a metal workshop to create a little tool that they could use to open the top of coconuts. That business is now a global business, but he started it just by getting one for himself. And then someone else saw him opening it and said, where'd you get that? He said, oh, my mate made it. He said, oh, could he make one for me? And that business started to roll out. But the guy was really enthusiastic, had a really funny story. He was really engaging. And so I was then drawn to him. Once I had the, a story and a reason, going through the numbers and learning then taught me to understand the business and the opportunity. And so that's a good example of how I get involved in businesses. I want people to seduce me with a really good story, something that's powerful, something that makes me go, ah, or someone that's really engaging, because I know that no matter what you do in any business you have, you have to be a really good salesperson. That doesn't mean just selling to the client. That means selling to your ideas to raise money for the business, selling to your employees, the concepts and the ideas and the vision that you have. So we're in a sales mode. So I I like to talk to people that understand that selling is a skill, appreciate it, respect it, and don't shy away from it and use all of these nonsense excuses that lots of people do. I'm not good at selling. It's not for me and all that kind of rubbish. I don't have the gift of the gab. I'm an introvert and all that stuff. Although selling, if you say the word sales, it does make me kind of go a bit like, oh, Mm -hmm. Because I think you're either, like you were saying, you're either 
people think they've either got it or they don't, but you actually sell things without realizing you're selling things as well, aren't you? You do. So you what, do. what advice would you give someone then that, that- Well, she sold a big diamond ring on her finger not long ago. So she, <laughs> yeah. she's selling something there, isn't she? I need it insured. <laughs> There's one of your businesses. <laughs> exactly. But you, you, you've got wedding dresses, yeah? Yes. You sell yeah. wedding dresses. And I actually, it was on your social page and you had a story. I think it was, I think you were out with dinner for, with a friend. Correct me if I'm wrong with this. And it was all about sales, about- how people not look down at salespeople and how they think they don't value it. Because basically when I started my business, I actually underestimated how much of a saleswoman I have to be. And it's so true that every day you have to get up and you motivate yourself because you get knocked back like six, five times a day and it just can damage your ego. And you've done a talk about it, about how strong your mindset has to be in sales. Because if you lose one, you have to go after another one. You have to be conti- You have to be relentless. Well, if you, if we become actors, we go for two auditions, yeah. yeah, and some auditions say no, or most say no. So that's rejection, yeah. That that's what it was. That, that you rejection. were talking about yeah. the rejection so, part. Th- there's two aspects to it. So I'll, I'll tell both the stories for the benefit of everybody. The, the first the first story is around on a Friday evening. I'm 19 years old. I've gone to the pub with my friends in the city. And I see this girl and she's just absolutely stunning. She's got these big brown eyes, this brown bob, she's petite and just everything I like, way out of my league. Like, And this is back before mobile phones and stuff like that. No Tinders and hinges and all this kind of stuff. It was literally the way you're going to meet someone, a wedding, <laughs> you know, is it church, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, your, your family community, you know, <laughs> yeah. but... This girl was there and I spent two hours looking at her and I had a couple of beers and I, I said to my friends, she's she gorgeous. And they're like, I'll oh, just go and talk to her for goodness sake. More, <laughs> You know, eventually I got the courage and I wandered over and I said, hi, how are you? I'm Spencer. Nice to meet you. What's your name? She goes, my name's Sarah. She said, what took you so long? I said, like, what do you mean? She goes, you've been staring at me for the last two you've hours. You've been a weirdo in the corner. <laughs> yeah, you, could, yeah. you could have come and said hello. <laughs> so, um... And then I then got to know her a little bit, asked her what she did for a living, the business she worked in, a bit about her family and stuff. And then she said to me, what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I'm a salesman. And she went, ugh, not a salesman. I'm like, well, what were you hoping for? She said, well, I don't know, an investment banker, a lawyer, um, uh, you know, someone with a professional role, somebody who's something, not just a salesman. I was like, it's interesting you say that. I said, your company you work for is an architectural firm. She goes, yes. And I said, and, and you work in the reception of the architectural firm? She goes, yeah, yeah, we do. I said, and does your company have clients? She goes, well, of course we have clients. Longstanding, very, very good clients. I'm like, so those clients have to come to the business. She's like, yeah. I said, there's probably people in your company that go and find those clients and bring them in the business. Yes, the executives and the partners. Oh, the salesman, I said. I said, if you don't have clients, you don't have revenue. If you don't have revenue, you don't have a job. So maybe we should just think a little bit here and respect the fact that salespeople are the backbone of every single company because no sales means no money, no money means no business, no rent, no anything else. But also let's understand salespeople. They get up every day. A lot of them work on commission only. We're here in Dubai. Real estate brokers are a great example. They have no basic salary. They have to put a roof over their head. They have to put their children through school or nursery. They have to pay for the car payments, pay for the rent and all of this kind of stuff. Whilst dealing with the emotional highs and lows of rejection all day, every day. So one minute, it can be a great thing. You get a result, much like our conversation before we started filming. Hey, I've got a load of furniture. And you're like, yay. Okay, the wins. But also lots of people messing you around. Lots of people saying no. Lots of people ghosting you and stuff like that. You have to deal with all of that, plus do all the other things with no security of income. I think that you should respect salespeople for the work they do and how tough it actually is. Now, are there bad apples in that business? Of course, in any sales business, there's bad apples, but there's bad lawyers, there's bad doctors, there's bad architects, there's bad, there's bad in everything. So we have to remember that we should respect salespeople because without sales, there is no business. And if you ask Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban says exactly the same thing. Number one thing, learn how to sell. Everything comes after that. It's so true. I literally, I, I watch so much of him and then also my partner's in sales. And I remember I had a day where I have a a sales funnel and I was, you know, following up and I just, I had a full day of rejection and I was like, and it really got to me because I wasn't in sales before I was in design. And then I launched this business and I actually underestimated how much it is hard to sell something. Nobody, 
it's true. Like everyone loves to buy, but no one loves to be sold. And it's so, so true. And I literally, I remember my partner coming in and I was like, I appreciate so much what you do because every day it's like 5am, he gets up and he just like, go and get him, go and get him, go and get him. And even with me, because what I sell is an emotional purchase, it's completely different to what he sells. So it's a different journey and experience as a whole. But at the end of the day, we're both selling something. Mm -hmm. And I literally was like, I need to take a step back and then you need to learn from the basics and need to evaluate where I went wrong and just basically get a thick skin because I think I took too much emotion out of being rejected. I, 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 Do you I, agree with nah. that? See, I okay. agree and I disagree with parts. I don't think it's about thick skin. So rejection yeah. is one thing. Yeah. Selling is a skill. I think a lot of people don't learn to sell. Okay. If you were a doctor or a lawyer, a lawyer has to pass a bar exam. Uh, a doctor has to pass the medical exams. Yeah. When it comes to selling, who's, who's teaching this skill? Well, I've got the gift of the gab. I'm a good communicator. I'm introvert. I'm extrovert. All this kind of nonsense. Selling is a profession. Learn it professionally and you can be good at it. That's the first thing. Second thing, rejection. I find it fascinating and I've worked with thousands, tens of thousands of salespeople over the last 30 years. Rejection is the number one issue people have. Okay. It's the number one issue, mm -hmm. but they didn't want to buy from me. Now, the truth is, let's take wedding dresses. Yeah. Do I need a wedding dress? No. no. I'm a married man. So do I need a wedding dress? No. So if you marketed to me or you cold called me or you approached me at a networking event to try and sell me a wedding dress, the answer's going to be no. Halloween party. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But 99.99% sure the answer's going to be no. Yeah. So if you went and spoke to 100 people someone. just like me, the answer's going to be no. You have to understand that when you're selling, that not everyone wants what you're selling. Nothing personal. They just don't want what you're selling. You might sell blue dresses and people might want yellow dresses. Nothing wrong with your blue dresses. is They say want yellow dresses. So it's really important to understand that you're going to get no's no matter what you do. No matter what you do, you're going to get no's. If you go and raise capital, you're going to get no's. If you're selling a product, you're going to get no's. So what I was taught when I was young by my boss, who was as wise as can be, was to understand that rejection was more important than acceptance. So my first day of the job, 100 cold calls. And he said to me, please go and find me 100 people to say no. And I was like, what? Is that just go and get me 100 no's? Then bear in mind, I'm young. I'm 19. So I'm a sponge at that time. I'm not really questioning. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a critical thinker of, at yeah, that moment. I'm yeah. just doing as I'm told, like we all do when we're young. So I got 100 no's, got to the end of the day. He came over to me, gave me a high five. He said, brilliant job, Spence. Well done. See you tomorrow. And I went home and said to my mom, I said, yeah, 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 I made 100 cold calls today. I got 100 people to say no. And she went, why would you do that? <laughs> you know? So I went the next day into the office, said, get me 100 no's. Again, day on the phone. And bear in mind, when you call a cold call 100 people, some of those 100 people are kind of interested. But still, you have to find them no. You have to find the no. So the person that says, yeah, that wouldn't be a bad Yeah, I'd like to talk about that. You're like, oh, maybe it's not the right time for you, you know. You're talking people out of it. But those 100 no's I got on the second day were him teaching me that I needed to go and find no's in order to get yeses. So day three, I want you to get me one yes. Get 99 no's first though, please. So I'm making these calls and every time someone's interested, I'm like, yeah, okay, thanks very much. Thanks very much. Every time I got rejection from somebody that like, I'm not interested or they would swear at me or something, I would like, great, excellent, another no. I need 99 no's. I've got to get my 99 no's. And because I needed to get my 99 no's, I was embracing every single no because I needed to get my 99. And then I got my one yes, boss was happy. That was a 99 to one close rate. I don't understand that concept. So he was trying to get... He was teaching me that I can't have yeses without getting no's first. Okay. He... Did it work? Brilliantly. Yeah. Because I don't fear rejection. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any issues. Confidence. No rejection yeah. issues whatsoever. I believe that you need to find rejection first. You need to seek the no's before you get the yeses. And most people in business don't like that. Most people, uh, they, they take it personally. Well, you focus on the negatives, don't you? A lot, I think. It's more emotional, like the, the focusing on the negatives because a positive feels good and then you kind of look for the next positive. Whereas well, imagine if the negative felt it's, good. It's imagine if you focused on the negatives because they felt good. You're always going to get more no's than yeses. No matter what any of us sell, we're going to get more no's than yeses. So imagine if the no's felt good. Yeah. Imagine if they didn't bother you. That's literally similar to what my partner was saying to me. There's always more 
And what I was learning is when I was having all the negative and the no's coming my way, it was impacting my energy and my my mindset to the new customers. And that was losing, mm. losing. Because you were seeing it as failure. And I, and I sw- when I switched that, like my, my closing ratio went up, my experience, like been open one year and I celebrated a hundred dresses. <laughs> completely well done just flipped it imagine if you had your store and 10 yep. you knew 10 people on average came in per day and you know from those 10 people you knew nine people were going to say no that day if you knew that before the day started nine are going to say no today okay so just that you know nine people that come in this store are going to say no get prepared for those nine no's it's happening whether you like it or not yeah. one person's going to say yes you reframe it in your mind you so when that person comes in they window shops they try a dress on and they're like mm, okay then they walk out again yeah it's not for me they walk out you're like well I need nine of you anyway so that's the first one yeah and See? there's there's nothing for me I always look at it, it's it's not it's never a waste of time no even like even if it's a no it's an experience for me and a learning and it's it, it, it's a journey but yeah. I, you do need to it's it's challenging and when I was like I follow you. And you do give a lot of advice on kind of obviously sales and your confidence and not getting knocked. And that was that story at the bar stuck with me. Is, is Sarah your wife? No, she, I dated her for two years. Oh, really? Yeah, we moved overseas and she she couldn't cope with living overseas when we first lived overseas. And in fairness, we were too young to be doing yeah. that kind of stuff anyway. But yeah. yes. And then the funniest thing of it all, <laughs> I don't know, it was like 10, 15 years later, somebody said to me, you know, she won the lottery. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they sent me the the, no. the, the centre spread of the Sun newspaper in the UK and her and her family won £9 million on the lottery. Wow. <laughs> you can't even make that up, can you? <laughs> Sarah Newton from Dartford in Kent. That's hilarious. Hi, Sarah. Do you remember me at Spencer? <laughs> <laughs> so what's made you, do you think, successful? The, the the drive to be successful came from trauma in my early years. So I was I was bullied at school, and so that trauma that that I experienced made me want to prove to these people that they were gonna, not going to get the better of me. And so I used them as a motivating factor for a big big chunk of my life. And so that meant I had to win. I was constantly trying to prove uh, that you know, not not to anybody I worked with. I was trying to prove to these people that don't even know me anymore, and I don't even know them. You know, Paul Fowler, Justin Zimmerman. I never forget them. Okay, prove to them. That I, I just wanted to stick two fingers up to them in a big, big way. And the better I did, the more that fed into that, you know, and, you know, hoping that, you know, the greatest revenge is massive success, as Tony Robbins says. Absolutely. And did you, did it take you a while to realise that's what you were doing it for? Or did you always kind of understand that? It was deep rooted. Really? What was your first business adventure? So I started selling office equipment in London when I was 19. Okay. So I was a ski instructor. Then I got a proper job. I kicked out of bed one day. My mum had a recruitment consultancy and she, it was August and she kicked me out of bed. I'm like, I'm a ski instructor. She said, it's August, you idiot. <laughs> There's no snow. <laughs> I'm researching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, go and find a job. And so she had a recruitment consultancy. She got me some some work. I was putting food in um, in the trays for the the, the, the airlines, in the, the meals. I was doing that. I was working for DHL boxes and barcodes. I remember doing that. I was stuffing envelopes in one company. Yeah, just like that, that random crap, really, you know, stuff. But uh, these were all experiences that I'm very grateful for. Now, I then got a job as a car salesman working at BMW um, and I was fired after a month for having a bad attitude. <laughs> and so, and I only went there because the company car was cool. So <laughs> they, they fired me. And um, then I got the job in office equipment in London. And that that was that was the the start of my learning how to sell journey because the training was epic. It was, it was every morning at six o'clock in the morning we trained. So I drove into London six till eight o'clock in the morning was training for 18 months every single morning. It was called the Early Bastard Club. And so like, oh, morning. So, and the boss would lock the door at 6.15 and nobody else was allowed in. And it's like, if you're not on time, you're not getting the training. And it was really structured and disciplined. And the people that trained me were brilliant people, brilliant people. Still to this very day, I love them very much. That's where I learned how to sell. And once I learned how to sell, I then was in a situation where I was making decent money. I mean, this is back in the late 80s, beginning of the 90s, maybe 50 grand a year doing better than my mates, thought I was great, but I was spending more than I was earning. I then worked out how money worked. And so then I got a job in financial services and went to work in Hong Kong and Thailand and stuff. And I learned about money. Once I learned about money, I learned how money worked, but also learned that you know, I was doing B2B before with office equipment, working as a financial advisor, you're B2C. It's a completely different process. There's way more emotion. People are dealing with their own money rather than other people's money. 
And I just was able to master the skill of doing that. I was fascinated by the subject. I became very passionate about people protecting their futures, very passionate about people securing themselves and their families. And I was on a one-man mission to prove to the world that they needed to do this. And you know, I wouldn't allow people to mess up their finances because that's what invariably they do. And I became probably one of the best in the world at doing that. And you did that in, you've got a, do you have a business in Dubai doing so, that? So yeah, I do as well. But um, I was doing that in Dubai. I sold my equity in 2012, one business and we set up another one and and financial services is one business that we have in the DIFC. Another one is uh, insurance. Another one is software and stuff like that, HR management. So, but my my business partner, Danielle, runs all of that. I can't take any of the praise. She literally is a rock star. She's worked with me for 19 years since she was 19 years old. And oh, wow. she, she is the CEO and she's the brainchild behind all of the great decisions that are Amazing. made in the business. She's a strategist way more than I am. I'm probably better as an executioner than a, than a strategist. But Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, yeah she's completely <laughs> different to me. You know, we went to Tony Robbins once in uh, in, in Las, Las Vegas and we were in this great big auditorium with 2,000 people. And if you've ever been to a Tony Robbins business mastery event, there's lots of dancing, lots of jumping up and down. Uh, and every time the music started, I'm jumping up and down. And she's like, can they just stop <laughs> the music so I can concentrate? And I'm like... <laughs> On what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, where's Phil, the energy? <laughs> so That's she's why a, you two click. But she, yeah, she's just definitely into the, the theory of everything. You know, her way of dealing with stress is to study. So she's an unusual character, but she's definitely the, 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 without a doubt, the corporation that we have now has been built by her. So with the financial background and the, the stuff you've learned through doing that, for our listeners, we have an audience, I suppose, of expats that have moved to the UAE, probably spending more than they're earning mm -hmm. or looking at kind of investing their money. What kind of advice would you give to those that just, yeah, are wanting to make smart <clears throat> decisions? Probably, I think, I think a lot of people focus on something, a lot of, don't focus, a lot of people get sucked into something called subconscious spend. Now, years ago when I was a kid, it was cash or a checkbook with a check guarantee card. This is what we used to use. If your checks ran out, you were buggered. You couldn't spend any money unless you went to the hole in the wall of which you had 50 pound a day as you could get out. Nowadays, our credit cards are on our mobile phones. And so it's very easy to spend money without thinking about it. Very easy to spend money without paying attention to it. And so a lot of people nowadays, are like, blup, 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 the card goes on this, the card tap goes away. on that, tap away, and they spend money that they don't even know. So over the years, I've learned that when you sit and do budgets for people, they'll tell you, this is my salary, and this is what I spend on my rent, on my food, on my, on my car, whatever it may be. And I'm like, okay, fine. So if that's what you're spending, all of this money here must be going in the bank. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. So that money, let's say the number's $2,000. So $2,000 has been going in the bank. You've been here for 12 months. She'd have $24,000 in the bank, right? And they're like, no. And I'm like, Sounds so, like me. <laughs> so where's the money then? No, no, no. This is what I spend on this. Okay. So where's the money? And they look at me, they're like, I don't know. So that's the first thing is to really be aware of what you spend money on and ask yourself a question. Do you really need it? If you want to be successful, you have to be careful with money. You can't live this bling lifestyle, okay, and have credit cards and debt on your credit cards if you want to be successful. Credit card debt is the most expensive debt known to man. Anyone with credit card debt is an idiot, okay? First thing you've got to do is pay your credit card debts off and never, never, ever spend more money on your credit card than you can afford to pay off every month. And some people go, well, it's all right for you. It's not all right for me. I don't have any qualifications from school. I don't have a university degree. Okay, I made everything myself. My parents went bankrupt when I was seven years old. I did this all myself. Everybody else can do it too. It's just the decisions you make in your mind. Do you really need to go to wherever it may be in the DIFC on a Friday night? Do you really need to buy that extra outfit? Do you really need to do it, you know? Do you really need that expensive car? And if you don't really need those things, there's a million things in Dubai you can fill your time doing. That said, if you do need those things, what are you doing at the weekend to pay for them? What is your focus? Oh, I need a work-life balance. No, you don't. A work-life balance means I don't like my work, so I need life to balance it up. You need a job you love. If you have a job you love, then it's a lot easier focusing on that and making that a success. So for me, these things plus a myriad of other things are important. Another thing to consider is understanding investing. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's all a bit complicated for me. Okay, so learn. Read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There you go. There's your starter. Read it once. Read it twice. Read it three times. Oh, I don't like reading books. Great. Get the audiobook. Listen to it. Oh, I'm not good at audiobooks. Shut up with the excuses. Study. Learn. The people that are brilliant with money understand how money works. The secret to money is getting money to make money for you. 
It's creating passive income from the money you make. If you get that money to work for you, it will create income for you. Live off of that income. Don't live off the earned income from your business. Now, again, there's different ways of doing it. People have different ideas. There'll be people seduced by crypto and Bitcoin right now and all that stuff that's going on. A lot of people seduced by property at the moment. Property is outrageously expensive at the moment. It's gone wild into it. But that's dangerous Mm. because most people are what's known as momentum investors. They wait for things to do well and then they go, oh, I'm going to do some of that. That's a dangerous game to play. So what's really important is if you don't understand cryptocurrency, don't invest in it. If you don't understand the stock market, don't invest in it until you do. You can wait for a financial advisor to educate you, which is great, but you are responsible at the end of the day for your own money. My wealth managers are all highly qualified guys. They're a high level of ethics and integrity. And we meet, often we meet people that say, you just deal with it. And for us, it's like, no, we want to teach you. We want to take you on the journey of learning about this. It's your money. You're working for it. You're sacrificing your hours to make this money. So let's get it working for you, but make sure you understand what you're getting involved with. And every single question you're fearful of asking, ask. Because there's no dumb questions when it comes to learning about money. With startups, because I was Mm -hmm. reading in Dubai that last year there was one million business licenses, which is crazy if you look at the population of Dubai. Where Uh, did you read that? It was just a news article. One million new business licenses given up. Okay. Yeah. Across the UAE, which were registered. Yeah. Obviously with the political issues and everything going on, obviously the people have set up businesses here. What advice would you give to a person, especially so many people want to be self-employed now since the pandemic. They want to leave the corporate world and they want to go and start their own business. What advice would you give to someone? Don't. Entrepreneurship is evil. It's difficult. It's tough. It's lonely. It's not fun, entrepreneurship. And people are seduced by, I'm going to set my own business up. When you are institutionalized into getting your salary every month, on the same 28th, 29th of the month, every month, and maybe a bonus once a year, and you just know that's coming in, you'll live your life in accordance to that. The moment you go into setting up a business and being a business person, or as I say, a one-man band, which is what it is at the beginning, okay, you go into a completely different world. There's no conversations over the coffee machine in the morning, okay? There's no banter in the office. There's no team events, okay? There's no no someone covering (laughs) your back. Yeah, it's all day, every day, seven days a week, as you girls know exactly. So my advice to everyone is don't get involved in it unless you know what's involved. But first of all, I believe that people should start as entrepreneurs and not entrepreneurs. I believe you should work in an environment where you've got an infrastructure, but you're responsible for your income. So let's give some examples. Um, Real estate brokers are a good example. They don't have any salary, but there's product, which is new houses, secondary market properties. They have a company they can work for, which has a brand and a logo and an office and telephones and computers and printers and HR and all that kind of stuff, visa process. You essentially, all you have to do is focus on making money. That's what you have to do. Focus on making money. You have to focus on balancing the books. You have to focus on all the stuff that we know we can talk about with regards to your business. None of that matters. Go learn the products to sell. Okay, go do it. If you didn't want to do that, you can look at something like... um. Uh, network marketing is another example. Okay, the infrastructure's there. You know these aloe vera products or these, you know, whatever they may be. These these juice companies. You can go and work for one of those. You're responsible for building your income. You're responsible, but but the product's already made. The company's already established. The branding's already there. The advertising, the social media, that's all been done already. You haven't got to do that. So that's a great place to start if you want to step into entrepreneurship. And you can do that from staying in your current role and doing that in your spare time. But it's not about doing it once or twice a week. It's about saying, right, how many hours are in my day? 24, the same for everybody. I get up at this time. I finish work at, let's say, five, six o'clock in the evening. What am I going to do between five o'clock and 11 o'clock? What am I going to do for those hours between five and 11, those six hours? What am I going to do? Now, am I going to watch the latest Netflix series? Okay, am I going to go out again with my mates? Okay, or am I going to use that time really wisely? I wake up at 4.30. I'm in the gym at five o'clock every day. People go, oh, I couldn't possibly get up that early. It's like, what a load of rubbish. It's just nonsense. People come out with stories. I'm going to tell myself a story why I can't do something. It's like, Why? If you need to work out and you're going to be busy every evening, get up in the morning and go to the gym early. Now, you might start work at nine and work out at six, whatever it may be, but use the time wisely in the evening. On a Saturday, what do you do? You wake up Saturday morning with a hangover because you've been on the lash on a Friday night. Wonderful. Great, great desire to be successful there, isn't it? 
You've got to use your Friday evening wisely. You've got to use your Saturday and Sunday wisely. So if you think about six hours every night, that's five nights a week. So we've now got five sixes of 30 hours. On Saturday and Sunday, we've got 12 hours each, let's say 24 hours we've got over those two days. So we've got 30 hours plus 24, so we've got 54 hours a week that we could spend doing something on the side of our salaried job. 54 hours a week is more hours than a nine to five job, five days a week. And again, if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. If you don't want it bad enough, you won't. And the reality is most people don't want it bad enough. That's why most small businesses fail. People don't want it bad enough. They don't want to go through the pain and the heartache and the rejection and the hustle that's required. Now, people say to me, hustle culture, what do you think of it? When I was growing up, it didn't exist. It was called hard work. Mm. Okay, it wasn't called hustle culture. It was called hard work. Well, hard work is what's required for your business, for your business, for my business to become successful. You can't do it part-time. I think as well, one thing which people don't talk about and people don't realise is the sacrifices you know, being self-employed starting. What's a sacrifice though? For me, a sacrifice is making decisions. So you basically put your business first. So first year of my business, no, I cannot go out on the weekend. What's the sacrifice? What are you sacrificing? I'm sacrificing for me, like quality time with my partner, quality time with my friends. Oh no, I can't go to that wedding because I've got my rent to pay or whatever. Okay, so let's, consi- let's consider that. Let's consider that. You're yeah. sacrificing quality time with your friends now for what? For me to focus on my business. For me, that yeah, is. Yeah, but what's the business going to provide for you in the future? Security in the okay, future. Okay, so you sacrifice something now for Financial the benefit security. of something better in the future. Absolutely. So essentially, you're d- delaying the gratification. You're saying, I'm not going to get the gratification now, but I'm going to get it 10 times more down the road because I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be financially secure and I can go to any wedding I want because I'll be wealthy. In a way, when you put it like that, it doesn't sound sound as good. (laughs) Because it's not a sacrifice. Yeah. It's just a decision that you're making. Look, you can go to dinner with your friends all day long. It gets boring after a while. (laughs) You can go and try every restaurant in Dubai. It gets boring after a while. Oh gosh, let's look at the menu again. Oh my gosh, they've got barata on the menu. Hey, diddly dear. Didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, there's a ribeye. Oh my God, they're going to have a salt baked piece of white fish somewhere. Oh my, it's like, it's the same stuff. Yeah. Okay. You have to remember that most people that come into your life, particularly here in Dubai, are transient. People aren't here forever. So you're going to be friends with them and you think you're friends for life and all that kind of stuff. You're not. Trust me, you're not, okay? They may move to another country and you may become friends and then acquaintances. Your life is only a short period of time. When you die, what do you want it to stand for? What do you want to be remembered for? When your date of birth, okay, and the date of death is on the headstone, that dash between those two dates, what does it stand for? What does it mean? Does it, what did you do? When someone stands up and gives your eulogy, oh, she was a great mum and she was a really nice person. The end. Oh, whoop de doo Okay. This person had this impact, did this kind of good work, made this difference, demonstrated to other young uh, women that are entrepreneurs that you can do anything you set your mind to and helped influence other women to become successful in business. Whatever, but something. And that's for me the important thing. And going out with your mates and going and having dinners over and over again and going to a bar over and over again and going to karaoke, it's like, come on. I think that's why people fail in business, though, especially in Dubai, I think as well. And that's why people shouldn't be entrepreneurs. Yeah, because they don't want to say, like, no to that. You know, they don't want to, they want to basically be at the beach club, say, for instance, on a Saturday and then just work like the nine to five. But as we know, like a business doesn't, it's, it, it never sleeps. I said to Taylor, my daughter, when she arrived here in September to go and work in real estate, I said, here's the deal, all right? You're not going on holiday for the next two years. Your head is going to be down. Your telly is going to be up. You're not going to be partying. You're not going to be drinking. Okay, this is what's going to happen. She's like, I'll stay in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? School of dad. Yeah. Bring it Do you on. You know what though? She wants to be successful. Huh? And I told her what it takes to be successful. Her boyfriend came with her. They've been together for seven years. They're now no longer together because he didn't want it. He wasn't prepared, you know, at the end of the first week, he was off playing paddle tennis. Oh, I need some downtime. I need to go for a pint with my mates. It's like, oh dear, oh dear. Because you, if you want to be successful, you've got to put the work in. Now she's 23 years old. You know, she's been in, in leasing in downtown for three months. They've promoted her into sales now at all stops. She's gone into a really tough environment. And wow. I said to Lewis, who's a really close friend of mine, I'm like, make it hard for a mate, make her struggle, make her fight. Because I need to know that she's got what it takes. 
and she's there. And she's, she's on calling to, me every day to buy. She's, yeah. <laughs> but she, but she, she leaves. I, I, I leave to go to the gym at four forty-five. I'm back at six fifteen. She's already left the house. She doesn't come in till nine thirty every single night. She gets up. She goes to the gym. She works. She knows what she's got to do. She's executing. Is it hurting? Yeah, but you know what? She's starting to see the rewards now. Okay, and it's starting to make her taste it. And when you start to taste it and you realise what's available, then for some people, it's the right thing to do. It becomes a bit of a drug. The one thing I've noticed with you, which is different to a lot of other people, is you have a response to everything, like in terms of, not in a bad way. (laughs) (laughs) Like an interfering Maureen. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Where are you going with this, Annie? (laughs) In a good way. You're always like... People have excuses, and you're 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 giving them the answers. Does that make sense? Like before we started Tough recording, love. you were saying to us about our podcast. We was you know we wanted we want to ask you some advice in a minute, but we you were kind of asking us questions, and you're you're making us think about how to do things differently, and then you're giving us examples or answers or ex- or kind of reasonings, and that's different to what I've seen in many people. Like that's a skill in itself, I think. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, no, it so is a compliment. Oh, okay, good, okay. <laughs> and I Thank think you. that you were saying, obviously, like, there's the trauma and there's the kind of element of your success, but I actually think you think differently to other people in a good way. Thank you. And I, I, it's just something I observed that I wanted to share with you. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask about podcast success because you've got a very successful podcast. Thank you. You interviewed Stephen Bartlett, who's also got a very successful podcast. Mm-hmm. How did that come about, by the way? How did you get to interview him? So the people that organised that event, uh, Andrew Wingrove was at um, Motivate Media and Andrew and I had done some work in the past and he said to me, look, Stephen's coming, I'd love you to do a podcast Amazing. on stage and interview him live on stage, would you be willing to do that? And, that was and a of perfect course, combination. You know, of course I was, I was happy to do so. I feel weird that we're interviewing a really successful podcaster. Are we doing a good job? Well, I've got, I've got Brian Rose on the podcast on Friday. Oh, amazing. So Brian Rose is London real, yeah? And so he's, he's, he's a huge podcaster and has been for many years. And um, so he's so I, I'll be in your shoes on Friday afternoon at four o'clock when he's in my studio and we're, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing the podcaster. But how did you get into podcasting? Not by accident, but I was asked to do a podcast for about a year. Didn't really know what it was. And some guy called Raj Kotecha, who I'm very familiar uh, friendly with uh, familiar with sorry Raj um, <laughs> you're an acquaintance so Raj had been asking me to do a podcast a long time he kept saying it's gonna be brilliant for you you know this is a skill you've got already Spence you can do this so after a year I kind of succumbed um I started making uh, a couple of episodes was kind of finding my feet wasn't sure but I didn't want to be scripted um and I didn't want to be forced down the route of you know being given given questions to guests um, three months in, I was able to secure Tony Robbins to come on the podcast when wow. he was in Dubai. And he coming in um, made a big difference because I was super excited. And you know, they said, don't meet your heroes, but he was a hero of mine. And so I had the chance to spend time with him. And he was so gracious and so kind to everyone at the studio that day that that really was the moment that I was like, okay. But then I was also able to leverage Tony. I was able to say, look, Tony's been on the show. Would you come on the show to other people in in that kind of personal development space? That's what we're going to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Absolutely. And so when, you know, then I became friends with Grant Cardone, who is a, an incredible human being, and Gary V and and other people like that. And, um, and, and people say to me, who's your favorite guest that you had on the show? I, I can't say. The, 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 some guests I've had on the show have got such incredible stories. That you know, I've 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 sat on one episode where I didn't speak for an hour, and I cried as this story was told. And so, and people have never heard of the guy, but the story was so profound; it just resonated with me so much. So, how do you turn a podcast into a business? I think you start off by saying this is going to be a business, okay, and you write a business plan for it rather than just getting some, go, renting a studio or getting some mics or you know, doing this. You've got to say, what am I going to use it for? So I believe that if you're selling anything, you should have a podcast. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you're selling. You can sell shirt buns, have a podcast. So I'll give you an example. I inter- Let's say I interview CEOs of companies. I interview that CEO. Two weeks after interviewing them, I contact them and just say thanks for their time again and just let them know everyone loved them. I then ask if I can buy them a coffee because uh, I've got some more questions for them. 
And once you've met somebody, spent an hour and a half with them, they've shared their story with you, they've opened up, like you, we're bonding right this very minute. In the future, do you think you'd have any fear in pinging me a WhatsApp saying, hey, Spence, can we have a coffee? I'm going to say, yes, you're not going to fear doing it. I meet that well, then person. That. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But I meet that then person for a coffee and I say to them, Look, this is what I do. I never told you what I did. This is what I do. This is how I work. I think I could be valuable to your business. And that person may say, you know, it's not me that deals with it. It's Maureen in HR or it might be whoever. Okay, put me in touch with them. And then I've now got a prospect. So if you think about prospecting for your business, target the people you want to do business with. Interview those, get to know them. That's a great reason for having a podcast. If you want to have a podcast from from a, some vanity point of view, make sure it's something you're really interested in. So the only other podcast I would make would be a podcast about Formula One. All right, that's the only, because I'm fascinated by it. I've got friends that work in the sport and I wanted to do a podcast on F1 with my three friends that work for the teams in F1. And unfortunately, the, the confidentiality laws meant that they weren't allowed to do it at the time. But that would be the subject. And I know if it was just about F1 over and over and over again, and I had a business strategy around it, getting sponsors in, um, getting the opportunity to work with certain organizations, that would be the business strategy around it. I just think that so many people start a podcast without meaning. I'm going to interview people. Why? Oh, because it's a good idea to have a podcast. Why? You know? And podcasts are fun, as you've learned. You know, they're great fun. You meet great people. You have great times. But there's a lot of opportunity to make a lot of money in podcasting and just most people can't see it. The new networking. Yeah. <laughs> it's been recorded. <laughs> yeah. It's business development, isn't it? It is, yeah. If you contacted me out of the blue and said, Spencer, okay, can I sell you something? I'd be like, who are you? What are you talking about? You'd probably get a no, yeah? Yeah. Okay, now you have me on the podcast. You contact me in two weeks' time. You say, can I buy you a coffee? Spence, I got this and I think it might be really valuable for you. Am I going to listen? Yeah, I might not buy, but I'm going to be a lot closer to buying than I would be if you didn't know me. And a lot of our um, guests we've actually like met over several times because we've gone to similar events or, you know, and and it's it's opened opened doors, I think, for sure. Mm. That's some good advice. I want to touch on your recent documentary. Yeah. Can you tell the listeners about it? So, uh, again, from the podcast. So I interviewed a lady called Maria Conciasau and she touched my heart. And she really moved me with what she did. She's an incredible human being. Do you know Maria and her story? So Maria was born in Portugal at two years old. Her mum went to Lisbon to look for work and never came back. She was orphaned and uh, brought up by a lady called Maria Cristina, who was a refugee herself. Maria didn't have a great start in life, but she said, you know, she became a cleaner in Lisbon. And she said, if I'm going to be a cleaner, I'm going to be the Ronaldo of cleaners. And she was a cleaner there, then went to Switzerland as a housekeeper, got hit by a car on a zebra crossing, left there, went to England as a housekeeper, learnt languages while she was doing it, saw a sign on the side of the building in in London for Emirates cabin crew. And so she said, if I ever got a job like that, that would be my ultimate dream to be cabin crew. Wow. So in, in her mind, that was a dream. Well, lo and behold, she got the job and she came to Dubai. Her first flight was to Bangladesh, to Dakar. She had a two-day layover. She stayed there for two days and walked around the slums. And she saw the horrors that existed there and she wanted to help. And so she flew back to Dubai, sold her possessions, flew back to Bangladesh to help her family. Oh, wow. And then she Googled, how do I raise money for charity? And the first thing that came up on Google was to climb Mount Everest. This is a woman that's never been in a gym, ever. She's never worked out in her life, never run 100 yards, nothing. And, but for her, the why was really strong. I need to help these kids. And Google's telling me I need to climb Mount Everest. And bear in mind, most people climb lots of mountains and then climb Mount Everest. Yeah, they just make she, it to base camp. <laughs> she just climbed Mount Everest. Wow. That was the first mountain she climbed, which was about to climb Mount Everest. But the psychology was really interesting. For me, I've been to Everest. It's big, it's scary, yeah? For her, it was an obstacle to helping the girls. If I get over this hump, I can help the girls. <laughs> big hump. Yeah, but in her mind, it was like that mm-hmm. was what it was. And so she was then able to help girls. And so she's now got 10 Guinness World Records where she's swimming the English Channel, North Pole, South mm-hmm. Pole, Ironman, back to back, all other mountains, blah, 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 all for these children. She built an English school, uh, an English speaking school so that she could teach them English. And then now she's brought nearly 700 children here to get them educated. Incredible. Well, I heard the story. I was bowled over by it. And then she said to me, do you want to meet some of the kids? I'm like, yeah. And one day in the Mall of the Emirates, the 12 girls, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds came running over to me and said hi. And I said to Maria, look, let's, let's take them for ice cream. And she's like, they can't have ice cream. They've never had ice cream. And I was like, what? 
It's just a never had ice cream. So it will maybe it won't won't work in their stomachs. And I was just like, what? So I took them to the fun fair, the Magic Planet place in the mall, let them play there. And then uh, I took them to Carrefour and we filled up some supermarket trolleys and got them the fun things they need. And, you know, I said, get some pajamas. And they're looking at me like, what to keep? Like each. And I'm like, yeah, get some sneakers, get some whatever, all that stuff. Sanitary products. Yeah. Uh, not earrings, um, hair clips, all this kind of stuff. Fasc- fascinated with hair clips. I'd never seen them before. <laughs> and I fell in love with these 12 girls, like deeply in love with them. And uh, from that moment onwards, they became my girls. And Maria was the start of me learning about the suffering that took place. And so then we decided to make a documentary about human trafficking. Very moving. Yeah. Like, that came from another episode of a guy that had a show called The Kindness Diaries on Netflix. And at the end of that wonderful interview, I said to him, I'm jealous of you. He says, well, I said, because you've got a TV show and I don't. And he looked at me just like, you're looking at me right now. And he went, why haven't you? And I was like, uh, I didn't have anything to say. He said, I'll help you if you want. And he helped me. And after six meetings online with him, there were producers and directors and all these other people there. Wow. And it was like, what's the story? And I'm like, I want to make a story on human trafficking. So we then found three heroes. Maria's one of them, a lady called Hannah in Nepal and a lady called Lena in Bulgaria. And the three of them became the heroes and the center points of the story Amazing. about how these heroes are saving children from child slave labor and child prostitution. And that really was how the documentary started to come together and we filmed it and it took three years to film and it's just finished now. Congratulations. Literally next, Maria had to do a voiceover yesterday for it to be finished the end of this month. So how will we be able to watch it? Yeah, when's the launch date? It's um, six ninety nine. Okay, <laughs> get free popcorn. <laughs> so um, the way that it works when you publish something and you, you so what happens is you create something and then you sell it to so whether that's Hulu, Apple, Netflix, whoever. When you sell it to them, okay, they then tell you when they're going or they tell they tell you to buy it, but they don't tell you when they're going to publish it. So I, it could be with Netflix next week and not go out for two years, which is a bit of a daunting thing to deal with. So the first way we're going to deal with it here is that once it's done, we're going to have a premiere of it here. Okay, so we'll invite people. You're very welcome to come oh, to the yes, premiere. Please, we'll have you. a premiere showing of the of the of the episode, and then from there, then people will have an understanding of what we've got here. And it and it's it's it brings some tissues. That's all I'll say. I would love to meet the twelve gals. They're older now, you know. The girls. <laughs> We've got one of them in Harriet Watt University. We've got, oh, wow. yeah, they're, they're older now. Wow. They're beautiful though. They're all of them. I mean, there's loads of them now. There's not just 12, there's loads. But um, yeah, yeah they come hiking on a Saturday with us. And, you know, whenever I feel down or I, I suffered with um, clinical depression many years ago, they, they were the cure for my depression. They literally, no, no medication was the cure. They were my medication. Because when you realize that your worst day ever is beyond the dreams of their best day ever. It puts it in perspective. It does. It really does. Always. And have they helped heal you? They, they are the healing. Mm. They are the best medicine. And they think that you've healed them. You know, like you're, you're healing each other. I'm Uncle Spencer, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, amazing. They're, they're magical people. You're so busy. You have so much going on. How do you juggle it all? I don't think, I, I wonder sometimes. I'm not, I, I, you say that. Look, when you look you at my- seem very laid back. Look, I'm not good at lots of things in business. In fact, I'm terrible at 90% of business. Like, God awful. I don't believe that. Let me demo, let me tell you what I'm good at. I'm good at sales and I'm good at finding good people. There's my skills. So I know how to find good people. And because I know how to find good people, I'm able to delegate very easily. Danielle runs those businesses. I have another business in in, uh, in Singapore. I have a, a CEO of that company. He runs that business. We we meet every week online, okay? And once every three months I go there. Danielle, we speak most mornings on her way to work. The businesses are run by other people. And so I've learned to be able to focus on the things that fill me up rather than those things. Amazing. And what's next for Spencer? What do you want to achieve this year? So... I'm going to climb Mont Blanc this year. That's another mountain I want to climb. So I like climbing mountains. So that's definitely one that I want to do. I want to see my daughter be successful this year. So I'm very focused on that. I'm, I want to see my youngest daughter do something. Okay. And get, <laughs> and get going. She's just come out of uni in the summer and she's kind of trying to find herself. And, and I said to her, go travel the world. I'll pay. I'll pay. Go travel the world. Go and see it. Go and experience it. Go and feel it. You'll come back wiser. You'll come back worldly. 
But um, she's got a boyfriend at the moment, so that's a bit of a challenge. But I want her to do well, so I've got to focus on that. And really, the businesses are growing the way they're growing. I think for me, get the TV show out, get another one in process of being filmed so that we can do more work and try and help others. Because like even with podcasting, so often do I see people that struggle with this. But to me, this is, this is not difficult. There's a great way that you can have great interactions and great communications and great connections with people and have a lot of fun doing it and you can make money. So why not learn and try? What do you, what defines success for you? Okay, it's definitely not money. Okay, success is being the best you can be. That's all. That's all success is. It's just being the best you can be. All right, and knowing, because nobody else knows. It's only you that knows whether you gave yourself 100%. I always say, every day at the end of the day, give yourself a mark out of 10. You can't use the number seven, but give yourself a mark out of 10. And then ask yourself at the end of the day, what could I have done today to be a 10? What could I have done? And then tomorrow, start again. What can I do today to make sure I'm a 10? And a 10 is your best. That's all. Your best. Not the best that's possible by anyone. It's your best. And that's what a successful person is. We ask all our guests that come on our show, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, man. The thinker. So I wouldn't, uh, lots of advice. I wouldn't have got married so young. I got married at 26. That was too young. I don't think men should be allowed to be married before they're 35 years old. I don't think they're- Oh, my husband was 30. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Trouble. But I think the cards. Cards. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all going to go wrong. <laughs> but I don't think people should be allowed to get married so young. I think they need to grow up, mature, evolve. And, and when, when it comes to becoming a, a, a married person and a parent, they need to be in the right place for it. I think that would reduce the number of divorces that take place. That's the first thing I would have done, not got married so young. I'd have listened more. When I was young, because what I became successful quite quickly and made a lot of money quite quickly and I stopped listening. I started thinking, you know, I was, I was God's gift to business and all that kind of stuff. So I'd have listened more. And I probably, like everyone, would have made some more better decisions with money along the way than I made. Um, I'm able to offer advice because I'm the example. I made all the mistakes, you know. I was earning a fortune all those years ago and I was spending a fortune too. And I think that once you've got financial security around you, and you have a sense of purpose and mission, then I think that you're in a good place. But so many people aren't. They're just existing. They're just on a treadmill. They're just existing, existing, existing. And that's not life. And I'm 53. We're going to be dead soon. All right. So let's make sure we make the most of what we've got. So true. Thank you very much for being on our show. And for the listeners, if they're not following you on socials, where can they find you? How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> what do you mean they're not following me? Right, listeners, <laughs> we need to have a chat. <laughs> but you can follow me on Instagram at spencer.lodger. You can follow me on any, my name's so unusual, you'll find me. Old okay, people's, sure there's old a, people's a, come up. Just make sure there's a blue tick, otherwise it's a fake account. Yeah, I've had a lot of your fake accounts follow. <laughs> yeah. Want to buy crypto? <laughs> I think, oh, that's Spencer's generous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank you. And for the listeners, um, you can download this episode on YouTube at the People of Dubai. Thank you very much. Thank you. Stay tuned.